Hello, everybody. Welcome to the 66th episode of the Manor Podcast. I'm your co-host, Roger Bodie, joined as always with my best friend and other co-host, Michael Hamilton. Michael, you very humbly are in a new location that is a tribute to your humility. <laughs> yeah, uh, I believe uh, you gave me the advice to have the stuff in the background when we record. This is something that you asked for. Is that, me? Is that not correct? Me? Yes. I would give you advice about hyping you up and displaying your achievements i don't think i'm the most humble person i've ever met in my in the entirety of the history of the world i think i don't think i would ever tell you to do something so grandiose so uh it doesn't sound like advice i'd give okay if, if you say so well um yeah i moved to recording in my room i got my whole computer set up and everything in here and yeah just put all my stuff up in here instead of just having it on top of my computer desk yeah, we need to get you a, a light in there now, too, because I got a nice little light that illuminates me. We got to get you one of these bad boys. You're a little. Does that do you're anything? A sh- you're looking a little shady over there, but it's OK. Hmm. OK, I can bring like a desk lamp in here for next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Or I can it's go okay. get one now if you want to start the whole thing over again. No, 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 no. no I can't ruin such okay. a good introduction. OK, so. There's a little tournament coming up called U.S. Nationals. Heard yep. of it? I, I have. I have heard you, of it. You think you're going to play in it? Uh, well, I've booked my flight, and I uh, probably have a deck that I'm playing, maybe. 80 legal cards in Classic Constructed? Well, I have about 70 of them with me. I got to get the rest, but, you know. Oh, yeah. I, oh yeah, I have to lend you some Starstrucks, right? Are you playing Bravo? I think I'm playing Bravo, yeah. I think I need the Starstrucks. Yeah, so after weeks of anticipation, the Wolfpack's coalescence has, has f- collapsed. Everybody has <laughs> just abandoned the deck. We were working on Briar for a long time. We're in, uh, there's a handful of us. I'm still on Briar. There's a handful of us. I'm not going to get into specifics of this list, but... Uh, the, the we're no longer a united pack, that's for sure. Yeah, I just feel like it's hard to take a deck that has a bad matchup into Lexi and Icelander. And I'll just say Lexi and Icelander when those are expected to be the two most played decks or two of the most played decks. So I, I can't do it. Gotta, gotta find something different. That's fair. On paper, you would think the Lexi matchup's not supposed to be that bad. You're like, oh, I can block and I can do efficient value trades and I have explosive turns and it just hasn't been lining up. Yeah, it turns out Lexi's really good. Like, really good. Uh, I don't think that's true. Icelander's been winning everything. So, uh, in fact, I think Icelander, we're recording this on Sunday night. Icelander might be winning another tournament right as we speak. Uh... Well, a PTI event is a lot less important than a battle harden that had a two Lexis in the finals and like four Lexis in the top eight. Yeah, there were five Lexis in the PTI top eight. <laughs> so yeah, so Icelander might be winning another tournament. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Lexi's pretty good. Might be playing Lexi. That's, my, that's my fallback. <laughs> I think they should ban Voltaire. I think, I think it's clear they should ban Voltaire. Like, you know, 
Well, mechs are coming out soon. We're going to mech world in a little bit. We just got to get through this national season <laughs> and the next whatever the season is for that. And we're going to go play with some mechs. And then mm-hmm. we're going to go T-Bone, kill the New Horizons. I was so confused when you let off with that sentence because I I thought you said mechs and some I thought you said Mexicans and I was like oh, what and then I realized you were referring to mechanologists mechs and I was like oh M E C H S not M E X and I was like oh yeah. those are two very different contexts for words yes <laughs> well <laughs> all we gotta do. When all the mechanologist cards come out, is you just gotta you get to play with all your sweet mechanologist cards, and then you just T-bone the New Horizons. Lexi's not very good if you kill New Horizons. I don't believe that. But that but why isn't there any good ways to kill New Horizons then? Uh, well, it turns out that when you have a character that's built around a piece of equipment. It feels really bad if it's easy for your opponent to just kill that piece of equipment. So I think it's good design that there are not easy ways to blow up New Horizons. I why not? I think Lexi would it be so bad huh? if there were like more? If there was like a generic, uh, what was the new one? Shattered reality, but instead it like it's plus two, and if this next attack hits, destroy a piece of equipment. Is that so? Is that so bad? So. Again, I think I think it's like pretty bad if that's if that's part of the format. I think like something like Katsu's Dishonor line is a pretty reasonable thing to have that long game impact where like you have to go surging strike into descendant gust wave into bonds of ancestry into dishonor, and then you can turn off a key part of your opponent's game plan. That's cool. That's fine. You know when your opponent goes surging strike with four cards in hand, that's something that could happen, especially if there's already a bonds in the- or or dishonor in their discard pile. But I think easy ways to blow up equipment just feel bad. Okay, so you're arguing from like a fun and like a gameplay experience kind of a, a thing. Yeah, yeah, not, not power level. I think like, okay, I think the game would be the would be very different if you could just blow up equipment all the time or easily. Like, you'd probably just trend towards more equipment that just block better so you could just like cash it in a block if it was going to get killed though i guess new horizons doesn't really have that problem it still blocks for two well like the interesting thing you could do about it then is so like you can push equipment if there's more answers to equipment so like you can like have something like it's like new horizons or like equipment that's a little bit more powerful if like there are effects that then are answers to those more powerful effects that are starting in the game so it's just an interesting design lever i think that they could go into but like if your argument is i guess like you'd have to like poll and get a better sense of like what people like and have have fun with flesh and blood but if people are like well if i just have no fun when my really cool piece of equipment gets blown up that's like so iconic to my hero and play pattern that like having it be blown up is like not fun then like i can see that being the main argument for it but I, i don't know that off the top of my head yeah, I, I think, like, you have to be really careful with ways that, like, remove your, like, take parts of your opponent's, like, what they're trying to do away. Like, even if you look at just, like, Icelander with Channel like Frigid and Frostbites, people are, like, a lot of people don't have a lot of fun playing against Icelander because they're just, like, 
not able to play their turn the way they want to. And Lexi, when uh, I think Ice Lexi has been traditionally a hero that people haven't been like, yeah, I love flying as Ice Lexi. It's just like, and this is just like effects that last one turn. Something like blowing up your equipment is pretty permanent. Yeah, that's why Tomalti is the best dragon. And then, yeah, I I think Chromai is well and established as the best dragon, but mm. you know we can. Mm. No, you don't agree. You don't think Chromai is the best dragon? No, Tomalti is the best dragon. It kills equipment. Big tax okay. for five. There's a lot of. Is the best. There's a lot of uh, dra- or Dromai decks that do not play Tomaltai. Man, dro- there are... there's a lot of Dromai decks that never win anything. Some... <laughs> Look at that correlation. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 100% of the Dromai decks Dromai's that have never good. won a tournament also didn't have Tomaltai in them. Wait, what? If 100% of the 100%? Dromai decks... Yeah, because if Dromai's never won a tournament, 100% of the decks that never won a tournament didn't play Dromai or Tomaltai. Well, Dr- Dromai has won tournaments. You have to just go look at the Living Legend leaderboard. Dromai has not real tournaments. No, I'm not talking about not going not- and winning your fancy pro quests. That's like a big armory, basically. I'm talking about like battle hardens and above. I don't even think Dromai's ever won a battle harden. Uh, I don't know if she has or not. I'm going to stake my claim and say that she hasn't because lack of Tomaltai. And as soon as they start playing Tomaltais, then they can start winning Battle Hardens and above, you know? Okay. Okay. If you say so. I do say so. Roger, the Dromai expert, coming in with the advice. Get your Tomaltais now. uh, My my opinions on Dromai have been well established to be 100% non-hyperbolic and correct objectively for uh, months now. So come on. Give me a little credit. (laughs) Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so nationals so they we're expecting a lot of ice icelander lexi any and you're playing bravo and i'm playing briars we got some b heroes but uh the metagame is pretty well solidified at this point you would say right yeah Destaron came out this cool set sure uh love it exists. Levy got some real upgrades. We got two new heroes. We got Vincent and Prism. Um, basically, everything in the set's a little bit weaker than what we already have in the format between the Aria heroes and the Outsider stuff. Though, Warmongers, that's, that's sure a card. Yeah, they uh, built a whole set around Warmongers Diplomacy. And uh, yeah, released. I guess Crown Providence is in it too, though. That's a pretty uh, good reprint. That's a good staple reprint they put in that set. Two cards. Yeah, I think there's a lot of things they did. They got they did well outside of that, but not the biggest implications on the competitive format. I think Levia is a lot closer than she was. Her new flip form thing is pretty strong, mm-hmm. but I don't think it was enough. And most of the other cards she got aren't great, so. I don't think we'll see a lot of Levy at Nationals. Yeah, I think oh, Vincent's close. That's not true. I think we'll see a lot of Levy at Nationals. Vincent, I think, has like really high ceilings <laughs> like Runeblades should. Um, but I think her floors are also like a little bit lower than average Runeblade games as well. So it's just... I think she's a really interesting hero, though. And I'm, I think she can be like really 
like helped by future like room blade designs. And I think there's a lot of like upside for her to go. So I think Vincent's really close and uh, Prism, it's just, she'll be a little bit harder to work on, but she's definitely interesting. And clearly LSS hates Bolton. Well, I, I know they do because they fired me. I used I was trying to make good Bolton cards and then they said, no, Roger, you're fired. You're off the dev team. So my insights are going to be a little bit worse going forward, I think. Um, but yeah, Bolton's just not allowed to be a good hero. Just not, it's illegal. I, I don't think Bolton is that bad. I think he is a little bit weak. I think they want to be very careful with banking action points because currently it has not been a problem in tournaments. It hasn't been honestly that close to being a problem either, but there is something scary about having like really powerful combo decks and I don't know. I guess they're worried about Bolton's higher level, but. Sure. But like the like we, easy I think thing they about it, a few more points in a couple spots. Yeah. And if you're worried about Bolton, like there's so many like easy, quick little levers you can ban like, or suspend while he's around, like just suspend courage or blade hold or like suspend Lumina Ascension. Like, if you just like just take away luminous engine and lo and behold he's not a combo hero anymore because that's the whole thing that enables combos so um yeah i i just think like i i don't like the combo argument to keeping him weak because i think there's so much design space that you could make around it and there's even design space within cards while leaving those things where it's just like if this is the first attack you've played this turn do x or um if the first time you've the first time you've charged this turn or the first x or something like that I, i'm just spitballing now a little bit but like i just don't believe that there's not ways to design him to incorporate him to encourage him to spend his action points like more in, intermittently than uh like him just being full combo deck all the time yeah that's fair i I do think there is a pretty big cost having to ban cards. I think like if they make Bolton too good and then they have to ban Luminous Lumina Ascension or they have to ban Courage or Blade Hold or suspend them or whatever. I think that is not ideal, but Well, none of the cards I named are yeah, legendary. I, I guess I think and, like those are the biggest yeah. things that they don't want to ban, right? Because there's already lots of precedent for banning like a problematic majestic chess piece from Crucible of War. <laughs> that made things free. Yeah. yeah. That also blocked two and has I think like designing cards with the <laughs> designing cards with the thinking that you'll probably have to ban something because you made this card is not ideal. And I think that you could say that Skeleta like Skeleta got banned because it like permanently restricted kind of design space for Runeblade cards, which makes sense. And maybe either Lumina Ascension or Courage of Blade Hold is kind of doing the same thing where they have to be very careful about designing cards because those cards exist but you unless know there's like card designs that they want to make that conflicts with those it doesn't really make sense to just like be like i'm going to push cards in power level and then ban that i went deep in some like old james white interviews back when like monarch was first being released and he was talking about like the heroes of monarch and I think he said something along the lines of warrior's design space is to punish interaction or like to get your opponent to like come and clash with you and then get rewarded for it. And I never thought about it in like that context. 
I think it's really subtle when like you put it that way, because like if you because up until I ever heard that, if you would ask me like, Roger, what's the point of the warrior design space? Oh, it's attacking with weapons. Like it's it's supposed to be like weapon design space, like the, the warrior and their trusty axe or sword and their equipment. And like they're just based around that because so much of like their normal interactions are or at least especially in Dorinthia, the first warrior was primarily based around um like weapon attack stormblade yeah or and and like oh. raiden's this like well reprise to a certain extent but like there's so many non-reprise non-attack action cards that are so iconic to drinthy at this point like you have like steel blade supremacy you have um glistening steel blade now like there are more non-reprise cards like reprise is just like an afterthought i feel like in like just like drinthy is like uh, like current deck iterations because it's just such like a weird mechanic especially like at this point like i think it's pretty well established that i hate the card iron song response because it's a card that does nothing when your opponent doesn't do like when your opponent's not blocking but if like the design space is supposed to be around when your opponent is blocking or interacting with you get better I think I hate the warrior class. <laughs> I, I think I think I'm just done with the class altogether because I it's just designed around such like a weird niche interaction, and it's not based around controlling your opponent. It's not based around doing your own proactive your opponent. It's basically designed around your opponent allowing your cards to function the way that you want them to, and. And that's basically like an entire class designed around giving your opponent agency. And I, I hate that. I hate if that's like the core theme, basically. But what are your thoughts on that? So I think when you said that that was what the theme was, your opponent, like getting your opponent to interact with you and then punishing them for it, basically, that does make a lot of sense now with like how our prize works, how Bolton's whole ability works. And then these heroes have a bunch of ways to encourage your opponent to interact with you. Like Dorinthia has... Dawnblade, which says whenever, um, if it hits twice in a turn, it gets a plus one counter, and you're just going to keep growing if your opponent doesn't interact with you, and then you get them to interact with you, and then you punish them. So, like, the idea is you try to make get your opponent to make choices, and then you punish whichever, you're able to punish whichever choice they makes, make. But I do think that, I, I do like the design of it, but I'd, I think, like, that kind of design is hard to get to the point where it'll ever be the best deck without it just being like ridiculously broken. Because if, if you're taking like, if you're instead of the agency being on you to make all the correct plays and play perfectly. Now you're putting a lot of that on your opponent. You're saying, Hey, this is the thing I'm going to do. You have to make a choice. And if you get it right, then well, I am probably in bad shape. And if you get it wrong, then I punish it, punish it. And there needs to be ways for your opponent to be able to get it right in that spot. And maybe it's like hard to know what's the way to get it or what the correct choice is. And there's a lot of like obscurity around it. And that's part of why Dorinthia was for a long time, a hero that like would be really, really hard for players without experience against Dorinthia to beat back in Crucible before we got to the chain being just beyond broken and prism and stuff. But back, back in old and old, um, flesh and blood before we started playing <laughs> Dorinthia was a menace <laughs> she was a menace but we didn't experience that and then Bolton I think I don't think they really 
I think they missed a little bit by making his ability only trigger when it's blocked by attack actions because there's a lot of heroes who have very few attack actions they want to block with. So like those heroes just like they weren't going to block with their attacks anyway. You're not really you don't really have an ability against them. <laughs> and that's pretty rough. I think it, I think maybe it should say all actions or something or it, so have some other way to like punish your opponent for blocking with non-attacks or defense reaction or something like we see the assassins they have all the different daggers that punish different card types so you can use the right dagger for the right matchup and that's kind of cool bolton's just like i really hope you want to block with attacks and then i can punish that but so i i think i think that's kind of a, a little bit of a miss on bolton's design unless you specifically just want him to be a tech choice for a metagame where there's no non-attack based decks which is weird but that doesn't seem like a design that you'd want to do. But I do think that outside of the miss on his hero ability, only working on attacks, I think the design kind of makes sense where it's like, I've got these engulfing lights, these bolts of courage, and then I want to play some generics with on hits as well to kind of punish you for not blocking me. But if you block me, my ability's turned on. So Yeah, and Luna I think the design essentially is... gives your weapon the important on hits as well to encourage blocking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think the theme makes sense and it's cool, but now I don't know if I actually ever expect Warriors to be tier one because if that's realizing that's how they're designed, if they are ever the best deck in the format, your opponent's just like, if your opponent's making the right decision or the lesser of both evils and losing all the time, then something's wrong with the game, basically. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of what I meant when I was like, I think I'm just done with the class then like i guess like from like a competitive level like sure i'll still take bolton and try to have a good, good time at like my local armory or whatever but like as far as like oh one day i'm gonna win a calling with bolton like i just don't see that happening like yeah or even like dorinthia because like dorinthia has been in the back of my mind too it's just like an interesting hero with some interesting play patterns and i guess if they're gonna if the focus isn't like around like building and like maintaining a powerful weapon or like weapon effects like things like that like i could see that being a tier one strategy at some point just because like there's so much inherent power in like weapons we've seen that time again time again like rosetta thorn winner's whale Dawnblade in itself is a pretty powerful weapon especially once you get some counters going on it there's ways to encourage design space in that arena that i can see it being tier one eventually or even like interesting attack reactions or non-attack action buffs that do pump your weapon in certain effects. I just think that seems like a really super interesting way to go about it. But if it's just, oh, when your opponent's interacting with you, get better, I that just so often encourages your opponent to just not interact with you. And they're just decks that are going to be better when they're just not interacting with you that can play like five card hands, like Lexi, Rune Blades, um, things like that so i don't know yeah I, I do think it's not exactly true to say lexi doesn't interact with you she doesn't interact by blocking but lexi is a sure, very sure, disruptive sure. deck and yeah, forces, yeah, yeah i guess maybe she forces you to interact with her more than she interacts with you but like the ice cards are like definitely some like it's hard to say they're not interaction that's fair that's fair maybe an ice warrior would be sweet at that point then since then your opponent's so incentivized to block you like if you could play a channel like frigid and then attack with Dawnblade, and your opponent's like well i can't play these cards so i might as well block with them maybe like a secret ice warrior would actually be the way to go about it so you're encouraging them to use their cards on defense but i don't know yeah i think everybody's just I, sick of ice heroes anyway i love ice point. heroes <laughs> i love ice heroes yeah. i 
<laughs> I have played Ice Heroes most of my time in Flesh and Blood. Not all of it, but definitely the majority. And I, I'm a big Ice Hero fan. For sure. Well, Nationals is only half classic instructed. Um, do you want to talk about Monarch Limited, though? Do you want to touch on that a little bit before uh, Nationals? Yeah, yeah. So I think the consensus is definitely that Prism is just the best deck in the limited format. We say it in sealed where everyone, like a big percent of the room plays Prism Pile. And then even in draft, it seems like pods can pretty comfortably support three Prisms. Some pods can support four and have okay decks or a couple of the Prism decks wind up okay. And a couple of them might be a little rough then if you get to four, but yeah, definitely comfortable with three Prisms. And that's in a four hero set where it should be Ideally, be two 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 two. That's a little bit weird. Um, then after that, I feel like there's kind of like different opinions on what's the next best hero after that, and like where the three other heroes fall. But it seems like, at least from what I could tell, it seems like the world tends to agree that Prism is just very strong. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, even on the team, I don't think there's a consensus to like what the next best deck is. I don't think there's a consensus for like what draft strategy is, um, what how to evaluate cards. Uh, so it all seems to be pretty up in the air at this point. But uh, the, during, we haven't focused a lot on limited, but the last draft session that we did gave me a lot of confidence uh, because I 3-0'd both our, the pods that we were doing. So I'm excited to just not win a game of limited in Vegas. So. <laughs> i want to talk about the second draft pod though because it was just like so informative to i think like the whole like monarch drafting process so i started out like prism okay uh a little bit by taking like a good herald and then i just kind of focused on like good light cards and then in the middle of pack two i think pack six or pick six or seven in pack two i got past illumina ascension and I was like, oh, Bolton's really open if I'm getting this card like pretty late. I, I guess like I could see not taking it though. It's like a really good card, but it's not like a crazy bomb or anything like that. Like maybe there was a different Bolton card. They wanted a charge card and they passed and they're expected to be a Lumina. Sure, we passed Lumina Ascension. Next pack, a Via the Vanguard. And I'm like, okay, I can't. <laughs> okay, you got me. And then I take via the Vanguard and like pick seven pack two. I pivot into Bolton and get a three O deck, and because I was the only Bolton at the table, and I think that's where you can be rewarded in the draft. But the scary thing about that is if somebody else at the table then also decided to pivot into Bolton that pack two, my deck goes from being a three O very good Bolton deck to be an unplayable piece of garbage because there was a second Bolton in the pack and I switched so late. So. It's just, it's a very scary drafting experience, I feel like. Yeah, I, I think like Uprising had a lot of that feeling too, where it's like, well, if I switch heroes now, am I going to get their own playables? Will I be okay? And that's why I feel like a lot of people just ended up forcing Vi, because Vi was strong. The floor was pretty high, even if you ended up playing like one or two crack bobbles in your fight deck. A lot of the time your deck was still functional, you could a lot of turns could function off only two resource pitch. So um obviously it's not ideal, but it, it was a thing that happened. And you also got the three Phoenix Flames when you played Fi, which you couldn't I guess you could play three Phoenix Flames in Dromai, but you probably shouldn't. And I think that is kind of just like functionally a problem with you are one hero and there are cards that your hero can't play and other heroes want. 
And I'm really excited. I guess this is kind of a pretty big transition, but I'm really excited to see what Bright Lights Limited looks like because that's not a thing. Everyone's a mech. Everyone's going to be able to play with all the cards. Unless, I guess, there could be talented mechs, but I don't think so. I mean, not, neither. I guess we don't know a, a for Teclo sure. Teclo Vesson isn't, at least. So maybe there's a talented dash, but I don't know. Yeah, I I think it seems unlikely that we'll see talents in the set. And after seeing Teclovess and not having a talent. And I think that means that outside of specializations, everyone will be able to play with every card that's opened. And that seems really, really cool to me and reminds me more of like drafting and magic or other games compared to like, you are this one hero and no splashing, no flex or any, no flex picks or anything. Just, yeah, so... I guess I'm really excited for it. No, it's fine. I'm going to put a pin into a different redirection, but I'm going to finish up uh, Monarch Limited. So what do you think about the actual games, though? Like, the games are also very swingy, right? Like, I feel like there's a lot of games where, due to deck quality or somebody spiking hard early, like, there's just a lot of games where it's like, you're dead. Thanks for showing up. This this wasn't even a real game of flesh and blood. You're you're, You're just dead, you know? Yeah, I, so I think that the games are pretty good. I think that playing limited best of one does just like inherently have more variance. And like these games are a lot shorter than Outsiders limited games where like a lot, it's not, it's not unreasonable for the game to be over on turn five. Like Chain's going to run out of deck on turn five. So (laughs) you, you get, you get about five, maybe six or seven turns in the longer matchups, but like, you're usually you're usually not getting too deep into second cycle unless someone's getting fatigued and just running out of cards entirely or dying of their own blood debt because your opponent was able to block you out until you drew a bad hand or something. But but we just look at like the set as a whole though. Blocking is just so bad in this set. Like you have Levia who has cards in her like card pool that just can't block. All the generic cards block too, uh, and then there are just so many. Like if you look at Bolton, then he's really encouraging your opponent not to block. We have Chain, who has a lots of arcane damage and like his best versions of his deck, which is impossible to block outside of Spellvoid because there's no arcane barrier. And then you have Prism, who is either incredibly laughably easy to block with like one of your pa- or six cards attack or incredibly overrated on like her attack rates and you're spending two or three cards per herald and you're just going to die trying to block her and so if we look at it from that perspective like no hero in the format is comfortable blocking or being blocked i think maybe bolton comes to be the closest with like blocking but even still since all the other heroes are so since the other three heroes also heavily desensitized like blocking in general it's just not a good blocking format yeah definitely and even like i guess going back to outsiders we saw some really powerful defense defensive cards we saw brush off was probably the weakest but then we saw the zero for three defense reaction red traps and i guess yellows and even blues in the case of riptides and then we also saw peace of mind which was a very powerful defensive card and then you compare that to monarch limited rise above i feel like rise above is like a piece a peace of mind that you don't get the ponder token for right you spend two resources and a card to prevent four damage sounds like peace of mind but you're just missing the, the yeah. ponder token. and i remember when we first started drafting the format 
a few months ago, we were like, maybe Seek Horizon's sick because you can pitch a blue, play your, or sorry, not Seek Horizons. Maybe uh, Rise Above is sick uh, because you can pitch a blue, play your Rise Above, and then use one of your Ironhide pieces. And like, you're getting like a two card six. And like, that's pretty good. And like, especially in a format that dis- heavily disincentivizes blocking, like having an option like that seems pretty good. No, not, 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 not good. I actually think Red Rise Above, if it's your 30th best card and you have an Ironhide, that play pattern will come up a few times. And I have had several decks where Red Rise Above was like my 29th best card, not even my sure. 30th best card. It's not <laughs> it's not good. But you know, sometimes you're you're it's a what what's your line? You like to turn your D's mm-hmm. into C minuses or something? And- Rise above. C minus and the other cute the thing right is spot. like when you're playing levy as like you have like your no block cards uh between that and rally the rear guard unless unless you get like some block value out of them it lets you like two card four on defense if you want to or two card five i got on, on rally two, but card, two card four with uh rise above so uh had some real <laughs> bolton rates there yeah speaking of rise above is okay in a bolton you know doesn't doesn't pop yeah, it up that's it's that's very true action. it is not an attack action card Okay. Do you have any final thoughts? Yep. Do you have any, are you just looking to like, hopefully be like, what's your ideal draft looking like? I guess like if you could have the draft deck of your dreams in Monarch Limited this Friday, what what, what would it be? Would it be like a, the Nut Prism deck, the Nut Chain deck, the Nut Levia deck, or the Nut Bolton deck? Um, I don't think, I guess probably the Nut Prism deck is where I would lean. I think Prism kind of has the lowest variance of the the four heroes. I think like even if you have a very good Bolton deck, if you if you have like maybe you have a Via the Vanguard and that's in your bottom few cards, you you really need to keep a four or five card hand with Via the Vanguard to really get the most out of it. And also like three of those cards need to be light cards. The Via the Van or I guess at least two. You need a blue, at least a light card to charge, potentially two light cards to charge. I need the V of the Vanguard. So that's kind of a lot of things that need to go right. So even like the best bolt index, sometimes you just don't draw your V or you draw your V a turn where you would have time, but you didn't draw a blue with that hand. So you just have a couple of yellows and a couple of reds and you're just like, well, Arsenal, I hope I get one more turn and you just aren't able to keep a five card hand after that. I think chain kind of suffers from like, you can just banish your, your good cards or your cards that you actually want to play and you can draw your red blood deck cards that are not very good when they're in your hand and you can just die because of that. Your opponent just has a pretty solid draw where they pressure you a lot and you have a pretty bad hand where you've got these red seeds and you're like, well, I can pitch them for one. I get block for two. I don't really want to draw these. Um, and then Levia, even like the best Levia deck, sometimes you just die to your own blood debt. Sometimes your opponent blocks you for two turns and you just draw bad and die. And there's a lot you can do to play around that. But it's always scary to play anyone that's not Prism. I feel like Prism just like doesn't feel as risky because if you have a very, very good Prism deck, you will probably win just with the pod. Whereas if you have a very, very good deck of any of the other three heroes, uh, you can just lose to bad variants kind of. Yeah, but I didn't ask very, very good deck. I said nut deck, like the best deck. Um. Oh gosh. I'm on chain. I'm on chain. If I could chain have... the best I don't think I don't think anything beats the best chain decks in the format. 
like if I'm building a blitz exactly. deck, I, I had a blitz chain. I had like a chain blitz deck. Like the last draft pod session, it was like so, the easiest three zero of my life. I had played like thirty six cards. Uh, I think five didn't say the word blood debt on it. I had the soul reaping. Like it was just it was it was one. like an amazing deck because like what you said about chain is like well sometimes you'll just draw your red blood deck cards and then you banish like your not blood deck cards. Well, it's just like if you don't have any not blood deck cards to banish or your deck is comprised of so few non blood deck cards, like there's no variance in the deck anymore. It's just like you're gonna get the good blood deck cards. You're gonna draw the cards you want to draw, like, and you're just gonna be able to present like a thirty damage chain turn, and there's nothing your opponent's gonna be able to do about it. Fair, fair. So my answer is chain, but the I, issue with it is that like if you go from like the first chain, you have like an unstoppable juggernaut of a deck, and then you're the second chain, and then you have one of the most easily fatigable, horrible decks in the format. So it's just like quite, quite the gulf between those two outcomes. <laughs> I think usually with two chains you're okay. I think two chains can have pretty solid decks. I think when you get into three chains is where it's like really then you're in true not train wreck territory. I, yeah, and. There's some packs sometimes like I guess we've been doing a lot of testing on uh draft fab where like the pack distributions and correlations aren't like they <laughs> don't, don't line up that. with a box. Sure, sure. They don't they don't line up with what you'd expect the packs to look like in a box. Like the individual packs are all correct, but like a lot of the time you'll have like two or three packs that are like very, very similar and that would be unlikely to happen in an actual box. I think that kind of leads to sometimes you have two chains in a pod and the chain decks are pretty bad. Sometimes you have two chain decks in the pod and chain decks are broken. And that's just part of the tools that we have available to us to draft online. And I I don't know if that will be very reflective of drafting at nationals. I don't know if your draft will be from the same box or it'll be split. It probably won't be 24 packs from 24 different boxes though, which is kind of what drafting online feels like. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't like draft fab for that reason. I just, not my cup of tea. I don't like the experience. I think it's just weird, but that's why I broke out. I broke out my first edition case just to crack those packs and make sure that we can get the real first edition draft experience before nationals. I have two the two boxes that you. I know you uh, do. They're just up in my closet. At back yeah, there. we'll do we'll do something with them eventually one day probably. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, ready to come back to my pin that I pinned like ten minutes ago, five All minutes right. ago. Yep. What Talents. So, what if LSS just never introduces a new talent again? Like we have Draconic and Elemental and Light and Dark and that's it. And the the Aria heroes. But like, I think... Elemental, yeah. Yeah, did you say Elemental? Yeah, I said Elemental and Draconic and Light and Dark. And I think that's it, right? And elemental. elemental. Draconic, light, dark. Yeah, I said Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is a classic, Roger. The real question turns trolling. <laughs> classic okay okay but we got to remember elemental too and then so if there's a real conscious decision to just shift away from it because outsiders didn't have talents we could see another like core set like a core draftable set with no talents or like maybe talents are just supposed to be supplemental product things because i i i just had this thought in the back of my head that I think that designing the game around talents might be just too much stratification 
and like just too many like lovers and bars and things like that and that maybe like by simpling it down with the welcome to wraith design of the heroes and like gameplay patterns that like you just have the better game experience for like design and like hero interactions and things like that because i think monarch and aria and even to a certain extent like uh uprising uh, all of the talent sets just showed a clear like hard power level distinction between the non-talented heroes and the talented heroes um and if there's just that much of like a gap between the two then and every time a talented hero comes out and it's just like well why would i ever play the non-talented version of this hero when the talented hero exists and we're still kind of seeing that with like why would i ever play like even with all the support that outsiders gave azalea it was just like oh yeah but like i can still just play lexi with all these ice cards and it's just better like do do you see what i'm getting at so yes i do i think like the fact that elemental heroes get access to all the generic the generic cards or like the class cards that are not talented and all their talent cards and the, all the strategies around their talent cards, it does make them just feel better. Like while Oldheim was legal, Bravo was basically not a real hero. Like people played Bravo and I love you guys. I'm glad people enjoyed Bravo. But like if you were just trying to win the tournament and do the best that you could do, it was just a mistake to play Bravo instead of Oldheim. And we're in a very similar spot with Lexi versus Azalea, where Azalea has a lot of things going for her. I think her hero power is very strong, and she does use Death Dealer better than Lexi. Um, Lexi gets access to so many cards that Azalea doesn't. Voltaire being probably the biggest one, but also all these very powerful ice cards. We see Arctic Incarceration, we see Winner's Bites, whatever other cards. Frostlock. Frostlock, uh, the Ice Vein, the Red Ice Vein. Mm-hmm. cart chilling ice fan that's what it's called i guess it's not red it's rainbow but um ice quake too and and she could even play cards like channel like fridge if she wanted to yeah yeah and i do think that a decent chunk of azalea falling off is because of how vulnerable she is to warmongers and just fatigue in general she had a pretty bad old time matchup and now she has a pretty bad warmongers that- diplomacy matchup so um and then we see kind of like five versus katsu i think that they like a lot of fight decks are moving to kadachis now and they look a lot more similar to a katsu deck potentially where you're just like trying to swing kadachis and present your mass trigger every turn but yeah and the reason why i think the other reason to play phi is you get breaking point which is a draconic card that katsu doesn't have access to and you get to shore up and get a lot of points into lexi because you get basically copies of command and conquer four through six that katsu just can't play Mm. that's true that does matter a lot so talent heroes problematic and then i think the other end of it as well is if you look at tales of aria like the whole set that came out it was a it had runeblade ranger and guardian but like 90 plus percent of the guardian cards in that set you can't play with anymore soon you won't be able to play with any of the earth cards briar is like three points away from loving legending and lexi and icelander aren't that far behind 
where once they living legend, like you can't put these cards in decks until we get new heroes. And we saw it with when Chain and Prism living legend, there were so many cards that were just like not cards you could play in decks because of this. If Bravo living legends, like regular Boomer Bravo, not star of the show, were losing like the three Bravo specializations they've made and everything else is playable in any other guardian. Same thing for if Azalea living legend or any random untalented hero, then you could keep using their cards. But now your LSS is kind of in this weird spot where they feel like they do need to reprint a new elemental guardian because all these elemental guardian cards are not cards you can play in any format. Blitz, old times living legend. There's no Starvo and Blitz and, and class constructed both both elemental guardians have living legends. So what do you do with all these elemental guardian guards? They're just all essentially banned. Mm-hmm. And I guess the other thought I had was um, when we compare it to something like, I guess, light and shadow, the other two talents where I guess the Aria elements, the, the, the elemental talent is like very proactive. It's focusing on doing like, different aspects of that elemental draconic is doing very proactive things light and shadow is very insular and like very like well if you're playing a shadow hero fuck you but if you're playing a light hero fuck you and it's just like <laughs> like why design that's so much of the design space between that talent is just like the inter-talent hatred of each other and i get the flavor for it but like I think that's also why Levy and Bolton struggle because like their base talents aren't inherently proactively powerful into a broad field. Like if like Ray of Hope just gave all my attacks like plus one or like was like a playable light card for like just either light hero, cool. But the fact that like you could only really play it against shadow heroes like makes that card go from like, oh, this is a really cool like light talent card to being like, why would I ever put this in my deck? you know yeah and i think the biggest like hate card between light and shadow that's seen play is soul reaping and that card it has extra text against light heroes but like it's just because it's so good that you could ignore that text and the card just like an a plus card just you would the one of the sacred cows of chain mm-hmm. exactly yeah and I don't know. It's just, it's just, and and then then you even get a supplemental set where like you can be be like, okay, well, we don't have to design the inner talent hate cards because like, oh, there's no more like limited play. Just you can make them proactive. You could do the, and they're still like (laughs) light and shadow interactive hate cards. And it's just like, why, why in a supplemental set for the talent expansions, you get to do anything you want with these talents now. There's still cards like prevent the next four damage a shadow hero would deal to you this turn. Like, and that's the armory promo for next month. And I'm just like, I don't know. It's just, it's just really, really bizarre to me. Uh, who, who am I? <laughs> that's fair. It is like, it is like the flavor of like the war of the monarch stuff is going on. I don't really know anything about the flavor. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is a very valid point. So. You even like you even pre-addressed my initial rebuttal. I'm like, well, it kind of is good for the limited format. That was happening in my head as you were like, they did it again in Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> These are the advanced <laughs> strategies they're teaching me in law school is to anticipate your opponent's <laughs> arguments ahead of time. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
Any final thoughts about nationals, talents, life, anything you want to get off your chest before we wrap things up then, buddy? Uh, I don't know. I couldn't sleep last night. I was like really like freaking out about not playing the team deck, not being confident in it, not knowing what deck to play and kind of panicking and like really got to stop stressing out so much over a thing that I love doing, <laughs> you know? Well, so I, I've been having a rough go at life outside of like, like real, real life situations. I've had a pretty difficult month, I would say. And uh, I was watching a video. I think his name is Mark Mason, but he wrote a book like the title is uh, How, The Subtle Art of not giving a fuck or something like that. Okay. And he incorporated a lot of like philosophy elements into it. And it was a really deep and meaningful video that he put out, but he spoiled his old book on YouTube. He's like, I've seen spoils of my book on YouTube. I'm just going to spoil it all right now. And he literally read paraphrases from each chapter of his book because he didn't give a fuck. It was, it was a really <laughs> entertaining video. I loved it a lot. But a core element of his book was that one is there's the Buddhist uh, concept of sukha, I think it is, where basically life is suffering, and like that just has to be a part of it because if you don't suffer at points in your life, you can't have the happiness. Like there has to be the give and take in life in order for you to find meaning in things. But the core element to it is that we're, you're always choosing at the same time. You're like you're always choosing what you're suffering about in a given moment. And people could say like, well, no, you're not actually choosing. Like, even if you feel trapped in a situation, you just feel like that. Like you do have a choice. Like we're choosing to suffer over recording content for a flesh and blood podcast or worrying about a tournament is basically what I'm getting at. Where like you could just not, like you could choose to do something else. So I think, realizing your situation kind of like being more aware of like the grander scheme of things helps you kind of put context into like that even when you're experiencing the fear and anxiety you should like appreciate it and accept it for what it is because it's basically like giving you context and meaning behind everything else in your life if that makes any sense yeah that does that is I'm gonna have to think about that one. That that was that was nice though. Good. Yeah. Can you can you message me if or I'll just Google. I'll just look it up after here. I I'll look mess, up maybe I'll put it in the description I'll of this video it. for people who want listen to like the last ten minutes of this of this podcast and uh, want a little uh, real life uh, philosophical video to treat themselves to. Sweet. Well, with that being said, the next time you're not giving a fuck, always remember. <laughs> Mind your manners. Thanks for watching.